Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. I want to read the text, Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 8. Uh, Actually, if you all would stand in honor of uh, God's Word, the reading of God's Word. It'll be on the screen as well. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder... You shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor to yourself, as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Andy. I'll echo what Andy said. It's been a joy to get started with uh, our expanded eldership team. We've had some incredible meetings and prayer and study of scripture. And so thank you, Andy, for updating the church on how that's going. Um, it's really been, been awesome. Um, last week, in the first half of Romans 13, Paul addresses our submission or the instruction to submit to governing and civil authorities. Um, He does that really on two bases. Number one, all human authority, governmental, civil, and by implication, spiritual. He doesn't mention spiritual authority in Romans 13, but the principle applies. Spiritual, governmental, civil authority, the command or the instruction is to submit to them because all authority is established ultimately by God who holds all authority. So whether rulers are wicked or good... The call is to submit to them because here's what we know from the gospel. Again, we're we're endeavoring to live as the transformed people that we are with renewed minds. Minds renewed and renovated by the gospel. What does the gospel tell us about our God? He's sovereign. He rules over all authority. No authority is ever going to trump God's authority. Amen? So on that basis, we're called to submit. Now here's the question we didn't get to last week. How is the Christian to submit to governing civil or even spiritual authority when there are times, we know this, there are times when the authorities over us command what the Bible forbids or forbid what the Bible commands? How do we handle that conflict? What do we do with that conflict? This is a real struggle. This is a massive issue because the Christian life, the Christian life, if it's anything, it's a life of submission. Isn't it? Ultimately to God in all things, and that extends 
to the authorities that are over us, to the people that we should look to. How does the Christian live a life of submission when at times it seems our submission to those in authority over us might be in conflict with our obedience to God? Paul makes it clear that we are to submit, and he gives no exceptions. That's interesting to me. He never says submit unless they, unless they what? In our day, in our society, our government says it's a good thing It's a good thing for a doctor to invade a pregnant woman's womb and kill her baby. Our government says that's good. And to oppose such things would be evil. At least some of our government, I should say. Our government says that it's a good thing for homosexual couples to marry And that any church or organization or individual that opposes such thing is is doing wrong, not good. You with me? Just recently, I read of a report in China, large church in China. To my knowledge, this is true. The Bible says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, right? That's a command from God. We obey that instruction. We're obeying it right now. But there are reports of a large church in China that while they were gathered for worship, the government showed up with heavy equipment and started demolishing their sanctuary. And our kids are having fun up there. I don't know if y'all can hear it, but they are having a blast. What do we do when our submission to authority seems in conflict with what God has commanded or instructed? You know, the Bible says, okay, don't, don't run out of here. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. What about when your husband's not a believer? What about when your husband is advocating for values or things that are not godly, not moral? How can, can wives still obey that instruction or is there exceptions? There, it's interesting to me that when Paul, when the Bible talks about submitting, it doesn't give exceptions. So how is that possible? Let's ask the question, what does submission mean? Where are we called to submit and what does submission mean? Let's go through a couple of scriptures real quick. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says, let every person, we did this, read this last week, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. That's verse 5, all right? So submission to governing authorities is what Paul addresses first in Romans 13. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 21. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another. Everybody say one another. Out of reverence for Christ. That is the same word, same Greek word that means subject. Be subject to one another. That's all our relationships. And then he gets specific. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Same word. So we're called to submit to governing and civil authorities, and there is a mutual submission that permeates all of our relationships. And in one specific context, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13. 
This is Paul talking about spiritual leadership in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be at no advantage to you. The word submit, same word, governing authorities, relationships, wives to their husbands, spiritual leadership, elders in the church, for example, the word is submit or be subject to it. It means to place or rank oneself under another. So just, just picture this. It's easy to imagine maybe for governing authorities or spiritual authority, but in general, the call is I rank myself under you. In general. That's pretty massive. Do we do that? Is that how we live our lives? Is that how we approach our relationships? I'm ranking myself under you. I'm submitting to you. That's, that's, that's might be difficult to imagine in general, much less when those in authority over us or just people that we're with, in relationship with in general promote or uphold or desire for us or instruct us to do things that the Bible forbids. How do we handle this, right? Let's ask this question. What's at the bottom, what's at the core of this Christian submission? What's at the bottom of it? Let's get to the bottom and then work our way up. Let's go back to Romans 13. We'll start in verse 7. So I think Paul gives us the foundation of Christian submission. Verse 7, Paul says, Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So in the first seven verses of Romans 13, Paul is zoomed in. Picture a camera lens. He's zoomed in on governing and civil authorities. But can't you see in, in the last part of verse 7, he's starting to zoom the camera out, right? Pay your taxes, pay the revenue, honor, respect. He's starting to zoom it out, and then look where he goes, verse 8. Owe no one anything. I think he's still got, you know, the thought of money here. It's not a sin to owe, but it is a sin to owe and be negligent and paying back. Paul says, pay your debts, pay them off, right? Then look what he says next. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet, and any other commandment, any other commandment, are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. So we should pay our taxes, we should pay our debts. It's not a sin to owe someone else or another institution money, but when I do, I pay it back, I pay it off, I satisfy it, and I move on. But the debt of love that I owe you and you owe me is never satisfied. 
I will never love you and you will never love me to the point that I cease to owe you love. Some of you feel like you're never going to get out from under your mortgage. Maybe one day. But you're never going to get out from under the debt of, I owe you love. I never stop paying that debt. I never cease to owe it. I will always owe you love and you will always owe me love. Right? What kind of love are you talking about, Paul? It's the same kind of love he talked about back in chapter 12, where he talks about Christians love each other genuinely and with brotherly affection. Here's what it means. The word is agape. The root word is agape. You might have heard that before. And basically what it means is, I prefer your well-being over mine. It's an issue of rank. Remember, we're trying to get to the bottom of submission. What is Christian submission? And the word submit means to place oneself under, to rank another ahead of me or over me. And that doesn't just apply to authorities, governmental, spiritual, or in marriage. It applies to all my relationships in general. I rank you over me, and the love I show you is a preference for your well-being over mine. What if we lived like that? What if that was the ethos of our society? You hear an echo of Philippians here? I'm going to read it. Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. Sometimes I read my Bible and I kind of know where it's going. I've read this passage before. Sometimes I read... Words like that, do nothing, and I just go, oh. Nothing out of rivalry, conceit, nothing out of ambition, nothing out of selfishness, nothing out of I'm trying to get something from you, and that the only reason I'm being nice to you is because I want you to do something for me. Paul says, don't do that ever. Don't love somebody because you want something from them. Don't show kindness to someone because you expect it in return. Don't forgive somebody only if they'll change their wicked ways. Do nothing out of ambition, conceit, rivalry, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others Okay, Paul, I hear you. But where do I root my motivation for that kind of life? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that means literally his essence, the essence of who Christ is, is God, Yahweh. And he did not account that equality with God a thing to be grasped or clutched onto or cling to. He literally let go of his divine privileges and everything he's entitled to as God. And what did he do? He made himself nothing. Took on the form of a servant. 
born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the agape love of Christ toward me and you is that he set aside his divine privileges, took on human form, came as a servant, put the interest of creation, of his, those which he created, mankind ahead of his own, and became obedient to the Father to the point of death so that we could be reconciled to God. That's how Christ loved us. And the essence of Christian submission, now we might ask the question, who's my neighbor? They asked that question in Jesus' day too. And the word neighbor is any and every person. Any and every person, what? I rank their interest ahead of my own. I submit and I love with my mind and heart fixed on Christ, put the interest of others ahead of my own. I love, that is the root of Christian submission. We're people of love. And that never changes. Well, what about the conflict? How do I, rooted in love, and you understand, this love that we show others, the root of Christian submission, is firmly planted in the soil of our desire to give God glory and make much of Christ in all things. We talked about this morning in the volunteer rally, we serve not men, but we serve God. We serve as unto the Lord. We love as unto the Lord. We forgive as we've been forgiven, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as, submit to one another out of reverence for, submit to governing authorities because no authority has been established except that which God has put in place and he rules over it. Submit to your leaders spiritually as unto the Lord. It's all unto him. But what about when there's a conflict? When it seems as though I can't submit to them and obey God at the same time. Is it possible? I think sometimes we don't understand the difference between submission and carte blanche obedience. Is it possible for me to obey God even when that means direct disobedience to authorities over me or the desires of men around me, is it possible to maintain a posture of submission and still obey God no matter what? I heard Charles Stanley say this one time, obey God and trust him with the consequences. That's so simple, but I, I agree with that. Obey God and trust him with the consequences because, what do we know? He's sovereign, right? Everything is serving his good purpose. So no matter what happens to me in the hands of human authority, ultimately, God's will will be done. No weapon formed will prosper. Nobody's going to thwart the purposes of God for my life. Nobody. I obey God and I trust him with the consequences. That's ultimately where my submission is anchored and rooted in love. But even when my obedience to God seems in conflict with my obedience to human authorities, 
Is it possible to maintain a posture of submission? Do you remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? Judas betrayed him. And in Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus, after they had had the last supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. I love that. Jesus is not hiding. He knows what's coming. But he's not hiding. He's going to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. And he tells his disciples, he says, I'm going to pray. And you pray, too, so that you don't fall into temptation. What temptation? I think it's the temptation to lose sight of the fact that God is ruling. Jesus has only and always obeyed his father. And what's about to happen to him could seem like a diversion from the purpose of God in their minds, in their small, finite minds. But he says, pray so that you don't fall into that temptation. And you know the story. Judas shows up with the temple guard to arrest Jesus. And Peter pulls out his sword, cuts a guy's ear off, one of the soldiers. And Jesus rebukes him. Stop this, Peter. And then, I mean, the Bible says it, the ear came off. Maybe Jesus picked the ear up off the ground, touched the side of the man's head, and healed him. That's amazing. And then Jesus says this. Luke 22, verse 52. I'll have it on the screen. Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers, the temple guard and the elders, the posse that's come out to arrest him. Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Watch this. But this is your hour. And the power of darkness. This is your hour. How long's an hour? 60 minutes. How many seconds? 3,600. Good. Some quick math minds. It's short, isn't it? Obviously, Jesus is not talking about a literal hour here. What's he saying? This is your moment. You get a moment. But my father, who holds eternity, he's the one that's gave you this moment. So do what you came to do. He doesn't fight. He doesn't resist. He's literally like this. Take me away. This is your moment. He's only and always obeyed the Father, and here's where it's culminated up to this point, is that a posse has come out to arrest the Lord of heaven and earth. And he says, you know what? I'll submit. I'll even love a soldier that's come to arrest me by healing his ear. You see that? He's obeying the Father, but he's submitting to injustice. Injustice that is a part of the Father's plan to reconcile all of us to himself. Right? Do you see that? Do you see the picture? In the moment, if you're one of those disciples, you, you have to be going, but this is so unjust. He's innocent. He's never done anything wrong. He's only done what the Father's told him to do, and now you're going to arrest him. 
Jesus says, they're not ruling over my life. They've been given a moment. And I'll submit. I won't resist. Peter, put your sword away. God's in control. You see that? In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, you remember the story, they're, they're going up to the temple to pray, as was their custom, every day. And there's a lame man that sits by a gate called Beautiful every day and begs for money. Peter and John see him on a particular day, and Peter heals him. You, you can imagine what that did to the prayer meeting, right? Is, is, people just started, they're, they're in awe. And it turned into this mass evangelism event. Thousands are saved as Peter explains, look, we didn't do this by our own power, our own piety. This was done by the power of Jesus Christ. Thousands turned to him. Well, the temple guard and the Pharisees that arrested Jesus, they get wind of this and they are ticked. They don't want anybody talking about this Jesus. Jesus is a threat. Not only in life was he a threat, now in his, after his death, he's still a threat. So they come and they arrest Peter and John. And they bring them in for questioning. And here's their question. By what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter looks at him. The Bible says he was filled with the Spirit. Can I tell you? When you find yourself in those difficult moments where your submission and obedience to God is difficult because you're fighting resistance and persecution, either from authorities over you or people you're in relationship with, you have the help of the Holy Spirit. Peter was filled with the Spirit. and He says, let it be known. We've done all this in the name of Jesus. And the temple guard and the priest, they're like, this is terrible. We can't let this go on. But we've got a problem because Acts tells us the word of this miracle had spread all over Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been turned upside down by this. We can't deny that it happened. So what they conclude is the best thing we can do is threaten them. They know what we did to Jesus, so let's just threaten them so they'll stop preaching in his name. That's what they did. And here's Peter's response. I love this. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them after they'd been threatened. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we're not going to stop preaching in his name. We're not going to stop. We're not going to compromise our obedience to our Lord. That's not in question here. But you get to decide what happens to us because of that. You want to throw us in prison? Okay. You want to flog us? Okay. You want to take away our houses and lands? Okay. You want to kill us? Okay. We're not going to fight you. We're not going to resist you. Because our confidence is not in you. It's in the God who holds all authority. So you get to judge. You get to decide what happens to us, but we're not going to stop preaching in his name. It's the posture of submission. 
it's possible for us, rooted in a desire to bring God glory in all things, rooted in a desire first to love God, and then also recognizing that our life with each other and our life in this world is rooted in Christian love, submitting to one another, preferring the interest of others ahead of our own, so that we can still, even when we get commanded by human authority to do the opposite of what God says, we can maintain this posture of humility that says, I'm going to obey God, but you get to decide where we go from there. I'm not here to fight. I'm not here to argue. So let's get real practical. You participate, which is your legal right, in a nonviolent protest. That's legal, that's not sinful. You show up at an abortion clinic to protest. Nonviolent. It's one of the rights that we have as an American citizen. Not against that. The Bible's not against that. But you show up and you do that, and the authorities come and arrest you because an, a city ordinance had been passed that you and your fellow protesters had to stay a certain distance away, and you didn't know that. What do you do? You don't stop advocating for the rights of the unborn, but when it comes to those authorities, take me away. Right? You submit. This is not a, the, the, the Christian is not called to violent resistance of authority. We're called to obey God, trust him with the consequences, and submit. Because we know, ultimately, he's sovereign over it all. What about when the government takes our tax-exempt status away because I refuse to perform a wedding ceremony for a homosexual couple? What do we do? Have you thought about this? It could happen. Some of the politicians that are running for office right now would say they would advocate for that. That they would, our tax-exempt status would be taken away, not just if we say, okay, homosexuality is a sin before God, but if I refused to perform a wedding ceremony, what are we going to do? Here's what we do. We submit. We keep gathering. We keep worshiping. We keep giving generously, even without the tax credit. And we keep loving everyone, welcoming everyone, and preaching the truth in love. That's what we keep doing. They could take our tax-exempt status away, but is that going to stop the kingdom? No. What about when a neighbor wrongfully sues you? What do you do? You take every legal advantage you can to avoid a wrongful judgment. But if it doesn't go in your favor, you pay the retribution and you keep loving your neighbor. Right? Take every legal advantage you can but if it doesn't go your way, okay, then you can hate them. No. Oh, no one anything except to... What about when an unbelieving husband threatens to divorce his wife if she doesn't stop going to church? What do you do, wives? 
Some of you might be in that kind of situation. Maybe not that extreme, but maybe you're fighting real resistance. What do you do? You obey God and you trust him with the consequences. You can't control what other people do. But you know what you can control? You can control your attitude and your posture towards them. I'm not going to stop obeying God. I'm going to keep gathering with believers for worship. But I'm going to keep loving and submitting to you, putting your interest ahead of my own, serving you. I'm not going to disobey God, but I'm going to keep loving you. You can't control what other people do. You can't control your fellow man. You can't control authorities. But what I can control is I will obey God and I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to obey God and I'm going to maintain a posture of submission. What you do with that and what you do with me is up to you. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and I'll continue to love. Would anybody agree with me and say that's really hard sometimes? It's really hard. You know, I think it's probably hardest. I, I don't know that, I mean, I've never faced it before, so I don't want to be cavalier about it. But I mean, what, if, what if the tables turned and the threat against me for preaching the gospel was I could go to prison? I'd like to think, I've never faced that, but I'd like to think I would obey God and submit. I keep preaching but I'll submit if they throw me in jail. Okay. I think that's maybe easier than mutual submission with people that I love the most. Because when a neighbor sues me and an injustice is visited on me with a neighbor, a person, it's a lot easier for me to succumb to the temptation to take matters into my own hands. You with me? That's why I think Paul goes where he goes in the last part of chapter 13. There's an eternal urgency that I think guards and protects our hearts and our minds when it comes to submission. Submission rooted in love, ranking others ahead of myself, putting the interest of others ahead of my own. Verse 11, besides all of this, you you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That might seem like Paul just kind of took an exit ramp off the interstate he's been on. But it's not. It's, it's, you know this. I know this. When I do what is right, when I endeavor to obey God and love my fellow man, and what I get in return is meanness and not kindness, when I endeavor to do what's right, honor God, love my fellow man, and I get a demotion instead of a promotion? When I endeavor to do what's right and what I get in return is legal action against me or false accusations against me, where does my mind want to go? Well, if that's what I get for doing right, forget all of this trying to do what's right. 
It's so easy for us when doing what is right is painful to want to address that pain by gratifying the desires of my flesh. Why? Because I, I want relief. That's ultimately where that goes. It's not just a pity party. It's that I'm looking for relief because doing what is right brought me pain. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find relief wherever I can. You see, that's the temptation that Paul's trying to say, don't be that short-sighted. Yes, when you obey God and trust him with the consequences, you endeavor to walk in love, honor God, prefer the interest of others ahead of your own. At times, what's going to be returned to you is painful. Why? Because we live in a broken world. But don't forget, Christians, Jesus is coming. I mean, that sounds kind of simple and churchy maybe, but the day is closer now than it's ever been. The day of what? The day of the kingdom where every injustice will be made right. Where every sin will be made right. Every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sea. Sometimes, Christians, when doing the right thing seems to only bring you pain, we've got to look to Jesus and we've got to remember what Paul said. This light and momentary affliction called life is one day going to give way to an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. I've said this before, but we have this, we have an eternal God-given desire, I think, for justice. Right? We want what's right. There's no promise in here that says I get justice every time in this life. There's no promise. I'll do a Bible challenge. Find it. We'll talk after church if you can find it in there. It's not in there. I don't get that in this life all the time. Sometimes when my brother or sister sins against me and they, they will come to me and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And that pays the debt and we move on. Sometimes a brother and sister, a neighbor will sin against you, sin against me, and they think they did the right thing and you're out of your mind for questioning them. What do we do? What temptation are we going to fight? The same ones, the, the same one the disciples fought in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to try to take matters in our own hands. We'll pull out our swords, start chopping off ears. And what's Jesus saying to us the whole time? Stop. Darkness gets an hour. 3,600 seconds. but the day's coming. Don't lose sight of that. Don't forget that. It's possible for Christians to obey God, trust him with the consequences, submit to the authorities over us, be people who are rooted in love, preferring the interests and well-being of others ahead of our own. And yeah, 
when you live that kind of life, you're going to take some blows. Sometimes it's going to hurt. But you know, I, I was telling the volunteers before church this morning, I, um, I've talked about my grandfather before. So indulge me for 60 seconds. Mary, when we got to praise team practice this morning, she said, you want to use my iPad, save the battery on yours? I said, yeah. I said, that'd be great. So she put it in that little thing, and uh, we got done with practice, and a little reminder popped up on her iPad. She told me this just a week or two ago. She said, I can't take Papa's birthday off my calendar. He died about five years ago. And a little reminder popped up on her phone, Papa's birthday today. I just started thinking about him for a minute. I started thinking about the man that he was, a man that um, was not highly educated. You don't know his birthday. No, no, very few people on this planet, a, a small handful, might pause today and remember Cletus Cox. But I don't know that there was ever a time that I cannot, I've searched my mind, especially when he died. I searched my mind and I tried to remember if, if there was any conversation that I could recall or any time that I was with him that I could recall that what didn't bubble up and spill out out of him was his love for Jesus. You pricked him. And that's what he bled. And he served his whole life. He just, he was never a vocational pastor. He worked in a mill. He farmed. He did small engine repair. And there were times, I saw it happen. There were times where people would come with a broken lawnmower, drop it off. He'd say, okay, I'm going to fix it. They'd come back the next day to pick it up and want to stiff him for the bill. And I never saw him get in a fight. He looked at those people, and he would say, this is what I charge, but you, in his own way, you get to decide what you're going to pay. He just submitted. He, why? Because... He realized that the greatest thing he can do with his life is not try to extract justice from his fellow man, but to love his fellow man because that honors God and that makes much of Jesus. And at the end of the day, his heart is going to be guarded and protected from all the bitterness and ugliness and hatred and anger that we let get lodged in there. We let get lodged in there. When our interest gets ranked ahead of others. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. But we're called to be the transformed people that we are in the world without conforming to the world. There's supposed to be something about our lives that's salty. You, you know what I'm saying? It's the, the, if you've ever eaten a piece of bland food that's never had salt on it, 
it's tasteless. It's like, blah. But there's supposed to be something about the Christian life that's savory in the world. Something's supposed to be about the Christian life that when we walk into dark places, there's light. Jesus said, why are you worried about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear? Don't you, don't you see the birds? Don't you see how your father cares for them? Don't you know you're more valuable to him than them? Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added unto you. Put God first and trust him with the consequences. Love your fellow man and let the chips fall where they may. That's all I got. Praise team, come on. Let's stand. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you, you would lead us this morning to taste, to, to savor, to be refreshed in our delight in you. Would you lead us right now as we worship to remember that our satisfaction, our, our motivation, our, the core of who we are is now to be people who have found our joy and our delight in you. And as we rehearse that, and as we're sent out into the world from this place, let us be people who are rooted and grounded in love. Let us be people who, walk, who look not to our own interest, only but to the interest of others that we prefer the well-being of others ahead of our own that that's the kind of people that we are and, and, and in so doing let us be salty let us be light in a dark world let your name be made great as we live as transformed people in the world so thank you for that thank you for doing that work in us in Jesus name amen amen let's worship we hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.